Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you are making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the, from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. This is the word of the Lord for God's people. You may be seated. Amen. Good morning. You know, the church is an interesting reality, isn't it? And Mark has a phrase, it's a messy, not sure exactly how he does that, but yeah, beautiful mess. It's uh, and, you know, I, this week has just been a challenge, and maybe you don't know the people that my brother prayed for, but I do. Um, and I, I just am confronted with the reality of this world in which we live. Um, it's almost as though Martin Luther said, and though this world with devils filled with threatened to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. Um, and, and, you know, what the church has always done when dealing with hard issues and difficult issues has gone to the King, their Lord Jesus Christ. And, and they've gone to the Scriptures and to prayer. Prayer and the Word, that's been, that, that's been the steady diet of the church that transcends the stuff of life. And yet, with tears in our eyes, and I've known Baher for many years, and the days are long-term members here at College Park, and they just represent many of us that have gone through some difficult challenges. And yet, in the end of the day, he's... Lord, he's king, and the church trusts him, and we believe the word of God, and we trust in him. And I'm so grateful for that. So here we are. We're on a Sunday morning, and let's look at the scriptures, because that's what the church does. And we're going to start a series in the book of Philippians. It's a 15-week series. It coincides with Mark's renewal period, Pastor Mark's renewal period. And, you know, someone subtitled it. We're doing Philippians. It's everything Dr. Piper forgot to mention when he was here for Think. And we're not going to do everything, but maybe a few things. And there may be some, some items that will be similar. But one of the things that we're doing, actually, and I wanted to announce this next Sunday night, is as Mark's gone, one of, one of the things he wanted is for us to engage with some of the things he's doing on his sabbatical. And he's going to be spending some time over in England studying the English Reformation. And so... Good news, church. We get to have what we call a College Park Institute forum next Sunday night at 6 o'clock, and we're going to study what you all want to study, and you've been waiting for it for years, and that's the English Reformation. And I'm glad to be able to say that we're going to do that. Actually, we're going to have four speakers. It will be more fun than you can probably believe. Um, 
And, and I say that actually seriously, and we're going to look at some of the things he'll be looking at over in England. My wife and I were over there a couple years ago, and then there's some other guys who are going to talk about the Puritans, the history of the English Bible, just church. It's going to be a fun night, right? So see you next Sunday night as we kind of journey with Mark and his family as they go to England in a couple of weeks. <clears throat> and, you know, I'm glad for a pastor that's willing to say the church doesn't rest on him. We've got several guys that are going to be preaching in the next 15 weeks. And I can tell you this, they're going to be studying really hard and they're going to be praying really hard. And my prayer is going to be that the church of Christ rallies around the word of Christ and the gospel because that's what the church does and rallies around the Lord. And we're going to do it through the book of Philippians, which has been one of my favorite books since I was a kid. I grew up in a Christian family. And maybe it's because it's short. I don't know. For whatever reason, I've always loved Philippians. And I still do, and so I can't wait not only to have the opportunity to preach a couple of sermons, but to hear some of the other men and just to engage with us as a body as we go through Philippians. We've entitled the series, Our Life in Christ. And some, as they've interpreted Philippians, have had different themes. The theme of joy, which is certainly in Philippians. But when I looked at Philippians, the thing that struck me is that Jesus Christ is all over the place. And so we're going to talk about our life in Christ. I, I had this long introduction that I'm going to pare down and, like, really pare down. And the first two verses to me are sort of the introduction to Philippians. So if Mark asked you, did anybody preach the introduction to Philippians, the answer is yes. Thank you for that affirmation. <laughs> Three things in introduction. One, the writer of Philippians is Paul. Timothy was his student. And Paul was, and you know, we know a little bit about Paul, if you've been around the church very much at all. I mean, he, what a phenomenal instrument that God used to bring about and to educate and to teach the church. And he calls himself in verse 1, he's a servant of Christ Jesus. That word servant could be translated slave. Some of you that maybe know a little bit of Greek, it's the word doulos, that he saw himself in submission to and gladly in submission to Jesus Christ. He was his slave. He was at his beck and call. He was a servant, a slave of Jesus Christ. But not only that, he considered it a privilege. He would rather be a slave of Jesus than the Caesar of all of Rome. That's the way Paul prioritized life. And you know what? I think Paul is right. I know Paul is right. So he's the writer He's also in jail while he's writing, and I've thought this, so if you know somebody that you trust and they're in jail and they send you a letter or an email or whatever, the, whatever, read it <laughs> and read it well because there's something about that sensitivity of, I, I imagine his sensitivities were even heightened as he's in that, so that's Paul, he's the writer. Secondly, he writes to the saints in verse 1, in Jesus Christ who are at Philippi, The saints, not meaning that they're an elite group of people. They are the church. They're the people of God who, by the grace of God, who have have received the righteousness of Christ imputed to their account, and they're called saints. That's This was written to the church of Philippi, but don't read this as though it doesn't apply to the church at College Park in, in, in the 21st century, because that was the intent of it. The intent of it is this is for the church until the Lord returns, and the church is made up of... So if you're a believer, you could look at each other and say, Hi, Saint, and then say whatever name, Saint Joe, Saint Don, Saint Blake, Saint whatever, right? I mean, that's not the way we do it, but you could do it that way. And it's because of the grace of God. And they're at Philippi, and if you go to Acts 16, you'll remember a little bit about Philippi maybe. That's where the Philippian jailer, 
You know, Paul was in prison. The jail doors come open. I wish I could see a video of that. And, you know, every, and, and then the Philippian jailer says, man, I'm out of here. I'm just going to kill himself. And Paul says, no, no, no. And then the Philippian jailer asks this most profound question. What must I do to be saved? And Paul pulls out his, his theology book and says, let me give you the full story. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. I'm like, all right, Paul, that's pretty simple. And yet, incredibly profound. And so that church started with this Philippian jailer. I don't know if he was the first convert. There probably were others before him. Lydia was one of them. And there was this thriving in the northern part of Greece, this city. It was a Roman city called Philippi. And there were believers there. And Paul's writing a letter from jail to these guys who probably had their own set of challenges. As you'll read through Philippians, you'll find that they did. And then the third thing is this in verse 2. He says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The focus of the book is on Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, so I did my math, which isn't very good, so you can work on it yourself and see whether this is true. But I tried to look up how often Jesus or Christ or Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus was used in the book of Philippians. And I found 44 times in four chapters. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like redundant. Like, it reminds me of a couple of weeks ago, my daughter, who is really sweet. And she happens to be the mother of my grandson named Parker. So, I mean, that, she's got two really positive things on her side. And Parker's four years old. Every now and then he likes to get in profound dialogue. So, and you can tell when that's going to happen. So he says, hey, mom. And she knew. All right, this is serious. Say, mom, we've gone to Sunday school virtually every day, every Sunday. Which I was glad for that. I mean, this little guy, he grows up. That's the way life is to him. They go to church. They gathered with the redeemed. And he said, he said this. He said, you know, every Sunday, we talk about the same guy. <laughs> and I thought, one, maybe he's being disrespectful. I don't think that was the case. Maybe so. So then he needs to have time out or whatever. I, I doubt it. I think he was just saying what he ought to say, that every day that you go with the redeemed, you know what you talk about? Jesus Christ. As we cry because the tragedy of this week in our church is horrific. And so we gather together and we talk about Jesus Christ. Let's talk about that guy every week. All right. So we got 15 weeks. We're going through Philippians. 44 times Jesus is mentioned. And let's just resound like the church does and says, it's about you. And let's glory in Jesus. So that's, that's our Philippians introduction. Now, my sermon this morning begins in verse 3. And I've divided it into three sections because that's what they teach you to do. And I actually think there's three sections there. And I've called it, <clears throat> so I'm being honest, I probably said that before too, three marks of a person living for Christ. And let me just personalize it to you and to us that as you listen to this sermon, there are three characteristics or, or marks that should characterize or mark you and me and the church And I find them incredibly encouraging and challenging, and hopefully you will. And it actually is going to introduce the book of Philippians. So we're going to move into it, because here's how the church ought to look. The first one is in verse 2. And I have tendencies to use visual aids mainly, and I think I said this the last time, because you incite me toward that. A few of you will say they're good. Point number one is this. We understand where the crown goes. That's a crown in case you're wondering. Now, I'm going to put it there, and then let's unfold this text. In verse 3, it says, man, I like Paul. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you all, 
always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. You know, I've been around College Park for a long time, longer than most of you. I was not on staff for like 12 years as a member and then came on staff in 99, a little bit after Eric came. And what I found about College Park is it's the community, the redeemed, that I can pray this kind of prayer with Paul about you. I don't know all of you, but I know enough of you. And I know the way the church, I thank God on my remembrance for you. And Paul did for the church in Philippi. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. This is the church God's called me to and us to. And I smile when I think about College Park Church, the people of God. The, the one thing that makes me cringe a little bit when I read this is, it seems like Paul's praying a bunch, and I know I'm not. I mean, you see those all words? That I'm praying in all my remembrance, always, in every prayer for you all. And then I think, all right, I'm a little convicted by that. But I can understand the Pauline love and delight for his church, which is, which is the way to introduce a letter. He's, he's, he's writing a letter to them and he wants to let them know of his affection for them and they for him. In verse 5 he says this, because of your partnership, which is a really interesting word, and I was thinking, I don't want to overdo Greek, but the word koinonia, my adult Bible, my Sunday school class is called koinonia, which to many doesn't mean anything. It's sometimes translated fellowship. It, it's here translated partnership. And in the ESV, if you go down in verse 7, it's translated partakers. It's those that are connected. They're together. They're in fellowship, which just doesn't mean we eat together. It means we live together. It means we die together. And Paul says... I've, I've got this affection because we partner together and what causes us to partner together is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why you might go to Brookside. That's why you might go to the Caspian area. That's why you might go to your neighbor's house because of the gospel, because it is the good news, because that is the good news of Jesus. And Paul loves them. And then in verse 6, and verse 6 is, I think, the punch verse at least of this introduction and it says this and i am sure of this paul's writing to him and again paul's an apostle now in this context he calls himself a a doulos or a servant but they know he's an apostle if an apostle is confident (laughs) you can probably be confident as well i'm confident of this here's what i'm sure of and then here's what he's sure of that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of jesus christ I don't know about you. I love that verse. I love it because the focus isn't on me. It isn't that, hey, look at me. You're going to make it. It's look at him. He's going to make it. He's very much the subject. And a lot of times we look at this verse and we want to bring it to ourselves. And on some level, rightly so. I think the intent of that verse is this crown thing. And the crown thing is to say, here's the Lord of the world. And the Lord of the world that begins stuff is the Lord of the world that's going to finish it. He's going to finish it. And if you were to kind of chop it up just a little bit, this verse, he's confident of this, that he, and the he, I think, is a pronoun. I know it's a pronoun. And I think it's referring to Jesus. It could be to the triune God. It's, it's the Godhead who began a good work. He started it. Some interpret that as they, the church in Philippi were helping with uh, Paul's needs, and they actually gave him financial support. They did good works. But I think it's more than that. I think it's saying the one who began the work of salvation in you, the one who regenerated you, 
The one who has justified you, which Paul talks about a lot in Romans. That one, and he's talking to the church, who's done this work in you. The work that when it happens, we say, praise God, our Savior, from whom all blessings flow. The one who began a good work in you. Well, well, what's that one going to do? He's going to do this. He's going to bring it to completion. And those words will bring it to completion is one word. In Greek, and it's a word that says, he's going to finish it. He started it. He's not going to stumble. He's not going to say, man, I didn't know I'd have so many things to do. I'm not sure I can pull this one off. I mean, what are all the reasons that I don't finish what I start? <laughs> there are way too many, ask my wife, <laughs> way too many reasons why, you know, those projects are partly done and they're still sitting out in the shed <clears throat> praying for the Lord's return, you know. Um, <laughs> But here's the confidence that Paul has, and it wasn't in them. It wasn't that they've got all that it takes to make it to the end. It was that God has all it takes to make it to the end, wasn't it? I mean, so the focus is, you who began a good work will bring it to completion. Will f- and, and, and it's going to come until, that, that's one translation, but I don't think it's until as if that's the end. It's all the way through the day of Jesus Christ. And then I ask myself, what's the day of Jesus Christ? So I concluded, well, it's probably July 14th, 2014. You with me? I, I don't know when the day of Jesus Christ is. That was supposed to be a joke, and it went over really, really lousy. <clears throat> but the day of Jesus Christ is the day. Here's, here's the way Paul describes it in Philippians 2. And I can't wait to get to some of these texts. In Philippians 2, he gives this one of the most profound theological statements of God taking on flesh and dying for us. And then in verse 12 at the very end, he said, well, well, excuse me, in verse 10. In verse 10, he says that, that uh, <clears throat> excuse me, verse 9. After this statement of Jesus dying, even to the point of death on a cross, therefore God has highly exalted him, Jesus, and bestowed upon him a name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that's another way of saying any knee you can find, it's bowing. <laughs> Wherever you find it, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And you know why they're going to do that? It's to the glory of God the Father. That's the day of Jesus Christ. (laughs) That's the day when death and suffering is done and Jesus rules. And frankly, he's already ruling. And yet the full consummation of his rule will be on that day. He's king and he's not going to stop until everything is under his feet. And he and his church are reigning forever and ever. And somebody ought to write a song about that. You know, like, they ought to add the word, Hallelujah, Hallelujah. If you guys aren't familiar with the Messiah, you need... Because it says this, The kingdom of our Lord. Where's Eric? Eric, are you in here? It's my audition. The kingdom of our Lord has become the kingdom... Or, excuse me, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Sing it with me, (laughs) or don't. The the idea is, and that's, by the way, in Revelation 11, right in the middle of the book of Revelation, it's the seventh trumpet. And the seventh trumpet is trumpeting out to the church of Jesus Christ that he's king, and he's going to rule forever and ever. And you can be confident of this, that what he starts... He's bringing to completion. 
He's going to fulfill what he's planning. And you don't have to sit there and say, man, I don't know. I'm looking at the newspaper. I'm just, you know, look at any newspaper you want. And on top of that newspaper is Jesus Christ is king. And what he starts, he's going to finish. And he does that through his church. And the church is a group of people that say, I don't care who the president is. I don't care who the prime minister is. I know who the king is. And that's Jesus. And you know what? I can live on that because if he started it, he's finishing it. So I got a couple applications, and I'm putting the applications in here because I think it fits this this text. I wish I had a lot of time to flesh this out even a little bit more. My first is this, that the center of the church is Jesus Christ, her Lord. He's the king. And when we gather together in assembly, we should gather together, and symbolically at least, we ought to understand there's a crown, and the crown is on his head, and so we crown him with many crowns, the lamb upon the throne. Because he's king. And the world would look and say, you know what? The way you guys live, somebody's your king. And, and I, somebody is the one who, of whom you are a servant. And the whole church together is saying, we're serving Jesus because he's king. And he that began a good work is going to continue until the day of Jesus Christ. So we sing songs like, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. We sing songs like, the church's one foundation isn't my bank account, it's Jesus Christ for Lord. <laughs> I remember one of the toughest times of my life. And, and then I've been through this week in church, and I know my, the toughest day of my life was nothing compared to what some of you guys have gone through. And, and I, I remember my dad, who was a product of... I don't know, 20s, 30s. He was one of those, you know, those tough guys. I mean, he didn't, didn't pat us on the back. He didn't, he didn't say, good job, because he expected you to do a good job. You know, he's a tough guy, and, and I, I, I believe my dad loved me, and I don't think I have any, well, you may argue with that. I don't think I have any, like, the residue of, man, I had this bad dad. Um, but I, I'll never forget on that time, we went for a walk, and I don't even remember going on a walk with my dad. You, you don't go on walks with me. I went on walks with my mom, probably. She was sweet. Some of you knew her. I'm going to never forget my dad saying this. He said, son, I know you're going through a really hard time, and I want you to know this. He said, we're in this with you. I'm in this with you. And for me, my dad, who represented this, you know, this, this, this tough but also stable, strong, he said, I'm with you. And I think when Jesus says he began a good work in me and he's going to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's like a hundred billion times more significant than that my dad is with me. My God is with me. Jesus is with me, right? He's not going to give up on me. He's not going to say, man, wow. He's the center of the church. And rightly so. Secondly, kind of an application. There ought to be a group of people in the church that are confident. And their confidence isn't that we can fund any problem we have. And, you know, one of the challenges of being a church like College Park is we've funded a lot of things, and I'm thankful for that, and I would say keep funding them. <laughs> so that we can give a million dollars for a Christmas offering, which I think is unbelievably glorious to the kingdom of God. And not only that, but every week when the plate goes by, and you may say, okay, I'm putting... That there's a, t- a ton of things, like some of the stuff that happened yesterday was because of your offerings on a weekly basis. And, and yet... That's not what our hope is. My security isn't in my 401k or 403b or whatever number you've got or in my friends. And I've got some incredibly good friends. And by the way, all those things are good. It's not in my health. My security and confidence is in Jesus Christ. 
And when I'm feeling insecure, I look up and I say, you began a good work in me. You're still at work. You haven't fallen down on the job. You're going to complete it until the great day, the day that matters, and that's the day of Jesus Christ. So there's a group of people that are secure in spite of an insecure world. Thirdly, when I think of this verse, I think of this. Here's The church ought to have an eternal perspective, shouldn't we? I mean, the day that we're alive, which is today, ought to be lived in light of that day. I mean, it should be. So that when we're living as we do, we're living, and certainly there are things that happen every day of, of, of all of our lives, and yet it's with, I'm looking forward to that day of the Lord. He's king today, and I want to live my life such that when that king consummates his kingdom on the day of Christ Jesus, that that was what I was living for. That's how we do Brookside's. That's how we do Caspian areas. That's how we give money that we say, man, I wish I had that money myself. That's how we live a life that's confident and is looking forward to Jesus. You know what God's looking forward to? He's looking forward to that day of consummation when he will bring about what he promised and what he started. (laughs) That's how we endure suffering. And the two things we prayed for this morning with the Maliks and the days... I haven't had either one of those kind of experiences in life. And I was down praying with Bess Baher's wife. And she may be even listening today. And I'm praying, saying, Lord, you're, you're true, aren't you? I mean, you are. And you began a good work, and you're going to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And I don't know the ifs and the ins and all those other things, but I trust you. And my eternal perspective takes me into an intensive care unit and says, I don't know the answers, but I know Jesus. And I don't know how to deal with a family that's lost their their child in in such a manner. But I know Jesus. And the church is one that says our perspective is eternal, that moves us through the stuff of life, and the trust we have is that king is really king. He really is. And the last kind of application is this. I'm also sensitive, sensitive to myself, and I'm sensitive to some of you, that I've, I've talked to some people who don't feel particularly secure in this salvation thing. And and I I know some of you have been there. That's a tough place to be in. And let me give you a couple of of encouragements. One is you you may not be a believer. Now, is that a bad way to start? Well, it is and it isn't, right? Because he may not have started a good work in your life. I I don't know all of you. I can't even really, I mean, I kind of see you, but not... And I don't know that, if, if you're saying, I don't know that he began a good work in me so that he can complete it. Well, maybe today's the day when you, in faith, trust in Jesus. That's the verbiage that's used in the scripture. You put your faith in him, not in yourself, not in your works, not in your church. Matter of fact, you maybe aren't that great. Maybe there's a whole lot of things that don't seem up to speed. He's up to speed. And in faith, bow your knee and say, Jesus, I trust you. I know you're the king and I'm giving my allegiance to you. What we'll people up here after the service, if you're in that state, man, don't go out of here without the sense of God's begun that good work in me. And some of you, maybe you're really convinced that God has begun a good work in you, and you're not so sure that it's going to come to completion, and maybe that's because of sin in your life. That's what the pastor should say to the church that he loves, that some of you, and at times me, are involved in sin, and sin would make me wonder, did he really begin a good work in me? And, and really, on that day, and, and so the, the answer to that is if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. He is faithful and just. 
He began a good work in you. He's going to bring it about to the day of Jesus Christ. You want to be confident of that? We'll live a life. And in the last verse we'll deal with this morning that's pure and holy. A life that would say, your work in me is evident as I look at my life. This, this verse is also an abused verse. There are people, and I imagine even within our church, that they think because of this verse, I got my ticket in my back pocket that God's going to save me and he's going to bring me to, to completion. You, you ought to read what Paul says in Philippians 2, uh, 12. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So, yeah, God is the king and what he starts, he finishes. And you know what you and I had better be doing? Working out our salvation with fear and trembling. We're responsible. He's sovereign. And you put those two together and you have a church that's confident, a church that is assured, and a church that is living in light of a God who has begun a phenomenally great work in our life. And then I think there's some people that just, you know, maybe they're living for the Lord. Some of you are probably like this. You're living for the Lord. At least, I mean, none of us are perfect, but, you know, your trajectory has been in, and you still wake up in the middle of the night and you're like, I'm not sure I'm saved. Can I, can I encourage you with this? Memorize that verse. <laughs> but maybe your problem is this, that I've got too small a God. Because this God who's the king, he is more than able to keep what he has committed against that day. He's able to do it. And so maybe it's just a little bit of a... And, and maybe you need to pray with one another and encourage one another to say, we trust Jesus. He's not just some experimenter out there. He's the Lord, and the day of the Lord will finally consummate that. And so, church, here's a characteristic that ought to mark all of us. We believe that he that began a good work in us will bring it about until the day of Jesus Christ. We know who's the king, and we act like it. And, you know, in general, College Park... I think does that. And may we continue. We've got to persevere. Because, you know, the world's with devils filled is going to threaten to undo us. But we're not going to fear. For God has willed his truth to triumph through us. So, point number two. So, that's Mark 1 of a church. We know who the king is. And we got, we, we, we're confident in him. He begins a good work. He finishes it. Secondly, and, and my illustration is this. It's a chain which honestly is off my backyard swing. But it's supposed to be. Can you hear it? Kind of like that Christmas carol or whatever, you know. The chains, the representation here is going to actually be in the text. And that is that I trust in God. He began a good work in you and he's going to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So I want to be chained together in community with the people of God. So... Anybody want to come up and we'll just join chains? (laughs) Well, look how the text unfolds it. This is kind of a community statement. So in verse 7 it says, It's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. I love Paul. This guy that writes some of the most profound stuff in Romans is a guy whose heart just bleeds at the beginning of Philippians. I love that. You're in my heart, for you are all partakers, he uses the same word, with me of grace. We, together, I don't know, that, that beginning of the service when they did that rendition of Amazing Grace, I thought that was so cool. And partly because I'm preaching the sermon. And the church always sings, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saves wretches like us. And I hope they never change that word wretches to be like, oh, poor people like us. No, it's, we're wretches! 
And it's grace that comes to us, and it's amazing grace. And we participate together, and we don't say, I'm probably a little bit better than you, but that's okay. We say, we're all wretches. We start on that common ground against which then Jesus, in his justifying, beautiful work of salvation, brings us into his kingdom, and we're partakers together. And then Paul gives it even more specifically at the end of verse 7, where he says, For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment, And in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, he said, in essence, we're chained together, and I like that. (laughs) And church, here's what I would say. The church you ought to go to is the church that's made up of people that you want to die with or that you're willing to be imprisoned with. And I'm not quite sure how to translate imprisonment in my cushy house with my nice car and these padded seats. I don't know. I, I wrestle with that a little bit, but I don't wrestle with this that I don't know what's going to happen in the near future in the United States. Sometimes I think, wow, what's unfolding? And it seems so quickly before I... I don't know. I'm not a predictor. I'm not a prophet in that sense. But I would say this. I want to live with the people and I want to be in community with the people that I'm going to die with. I want to live with the people who say this. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's the kind of people I want to live with. A couple weeks ago, Nate and I went to a... This was a spiritual activity... Global Outreach, Theological Development, went to a Pacers game. (laughs) It was Nate's fault. He led me there. If it weren't for him, I wouldn't have gone. You know, we're blame shifters. And it was a great... They were playing the Miami Heat. If you're not into that, it's all right. Miami's supposed to be a good team. The Pacers are supposed to be a good team. Pacers win. Everybody's cheering. And so then, this is the reason you don't want to go to a game with me. So I'm thinking, I'm analyzing this. Like, So what connects me with those people? I said, all right, we're all humans. We've got ears and stuff, you know. <laughs> we all got tickets, I think. The rich people don't, but us people, we got tickets. We all like the Pacers. I mean, except there were a couple of outcasts that were actually in the midst. There was a few Heat fans, you know. So most of it, I mean, it just rose the roof. And, and we went away, and, and then I came to church, and I thought, what connects me with The thing that connects me with us is we have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, and we believe that the day of Jesus Christ is coming, and we want to live for that day. And as a matter of fact, if the day comes when, like imprisonment for me might be, I'm I'm afraid to talk to my neighbor because he might think I'm weird. Yeah, that's Paul's imprisonment. Whatever that we're saying, we are bonding ourselves together for the call of Christ And we're going to do it until we die. And I want to do it with you. (laughs) Because you've got the same passion that I have. I've thought about this. I wish, I've been around College Park a long time, seen all the buildings and stuff. I wish maybe in the early days we had decided we're going to build a cemetery here. Wouldn't that be nice to have a cemetery here? There's a little church not far from us on Gray Road and 146. they got this little cemetery You know, one of the beauties of a cemetery, it says that this church lives together and they die together. And on the day of Jesus Christ, those guys out there, they're going to be risen because we did Easter last week, right? I mean, we believe in the resurrection and we're going to be caught up and there's going to be this eternal reality of the day of the Lord. And so we live and we're enchained and we're committed and we're persevering and we're encouraging one another so that we know who the king is. That's how we can live in chains. And we do it for the glory of God. That's what, that's what Paul said about the church in Philippi. Wow. 
And then, then he kind of ends that section and says, God is my witness how I yearn for you with the affection of Jesus Christ. I yearn to be with people who love the gospel and who want to live out the glory of the gospel in the world in which they live. Which, by the way, is probably part of the idea of, I love to be with people who are willing to think in terms of, maybe College Park Next is saying, there's places in Indianapolis where there are unchurched people who need to hear about Jesus, and so some people are going to do maybe what's a little bit challenging, and they're going to go there. Where some people will say, I mean, here's the kind of people I want to be chained with, is the people that will say, well, there's a group of people in the Caspian area that need Jesus Christ. And I was just talking this week to one of our couples that's going over there, and she's pregnant. Which I'm thinking, wow, so if that's my grandson, they're taking him to the Caspian area? A granddaughter, I'm sorry, they're having a little girl. And I'm thinking, those are the kind of people I want to be chained together with, where they see this king, they submit to this king, and he's begun a good work, he's going to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And we're in this thing together. So when I go down and pray with Bess Malik, that I pray, Lord, I, man, deliver and I pray that you will. I don't have any doubt God can heal. But I also know that I don't know, I don't know the inner workings of God and I'm glad I don't so I trust him in the end of the day and I say those are the people that I want to live with and I want to die with and that's what the church is. That's us. The last one. I get to go over this like really quickly. I wish I had like two sermons for them. It's verses 9 through 11 and it's one of the really cool Pauline verse or, or prayers. So a church... The mark of a church, a mark of people that are, are committed to Jesus Christ is they know who the king is, they're in bonds together. The third one is this, they know how to pray. So my illustration for that is this. Here's what the church is like. They've got a crown that they know who that is. They've got chains together. The church is a group of people like this. I mean, there's a power position, right? It's like if you're on in a football, that, that's not a power position. But if you're the church of Christ, this is the power position. I don't mean literally bowing your knee, but I mean a group of people that are tenaciously in prayer for one another. And you know, I even wondered whether to do this because I thought, I'm going to get my pants dirty. (laughs) And what are all the other excuses we have for why we don't pray for one another? Why when I read Paul at the beginning, he says, I'm praying always at all times. And I'm thinking, Paul, man... All right, I'll try to get it in maybe once a week if I can, you know, or I'm going to... You know, the church is a group of people that they know who the king is. They understand what the stakes are. And then they're in prayer for each other. And this prayer has three points to it. It sounds like another sermon, but I don't have time for that. There's three points to it. And, and they're actually all grammatically really three points. And here's the way you can tell it. If you were if you're reading your Greek text, you would immediately see it. And if you don't, which most of you don't, which is fine. If you look at the word that... Or the word so that, or the word so, S-O, not S-E-W. That, that's, the, that's the delineation of these three petitions that Paul has. And they are this. The first one is this. Paul says in verse 9, and it is my prayer. And I'm no Greek expert, but that's a verb. It should have been translated, I'm praying. Not just, here's a model prayer out there. I'm actually doing this. Paul says, I'm praying. And I don't know. I don't know what his imprisonment was like. Some said it may have been a home imprisonment. Whatever it is, it wasn't comfortable. And Paul maybe had extra time to pray. So that's why he can do it. I don't. I'm not in prison. I've got too many things to do. They're really important. Or are they? (laughs) So he says, it's my prayer. I am praying that, here's the first prayer, your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. 
Now, I've labeled that little prayer just to help you and help me to get a handle on it because I'm going to say this. College Park Church, you need to be going away from here and we need to be praying this prayer always in all times for all. For, for us, we need to be praying for one another and our prayer ought to go like this. We, I think it's appropriate to pray for healing and we pray for Bahar's healing. I think that's appropriate. Submitting ourselves to what God's will actually is. Pray for mourning families. And then here ought to be our regular diet of prayer that we pray for each other that our hearts... And the heart, I think, is what he's going after here, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that the church looks like this, a group of people that if you thought they were loving yesterday, wait till tomorrow. (laughs) And love isn't just, oh, they're the gushiest people I've ever seen. I mean, they just slobber all over you. I I realize some people see love that way, and I'm kind of glad the Bible doesn't because I don't see love quite that way. As a matter of fact, I see love as this tenacious commitment to the good of the others. I think love here is my love for Christ ought to abound more and more so that I would say next week, next month, there's this aboundingness of love. And you know what? Can I at least ask this? Pray that for me. If not, if you can't think of anybody else, pray it for me that my love would abound more and more. And it's not just this wimpy love. It's with knowledge and understanding. And that's the kind of love Jesus wants to see from the people of his church And that's the kind of love we ought to be asking for. That's the kind of love that takes you to the Caspian area or to India. That's the kind of love that takes you to your neighbor. That's the kind of love. It's that love that's abounding and it's continuing. And and you could say, you know what, I'm pretty satisfied with life right now. Then, Then you don't need to pray that prayer, right? It's an abounding church. That's what God wants from his church. They abound more and more. It reminds me, I remember this when I was... Got out of college, I taught in a, in a high school for a, little, for a couple years. And I remember this one kid, Dave Tiblin. I'm pretty sure he won't get this, because that was like a, a few years ago. Um, and I remember he was one of the, just didn't fit in the class. And I remember it was a Christian school, and so I was talking to him one day, led him to Christ. And that hasn't happened a ton of times to me, but it was one of those delight. You could tell God was working in his heart. One of the things I noticed about him, he was sort of a social misfit, in the school, and I noticed that his love started to bounce like he actually cared about other people. And it just struck me because it was so graphic in him that here's what the redeemed look like, and they pray for each other, that their love would abound more and more. In College Park, let's pray that our love for God and our love for people would abound more and more, and we would flesh it out with all knowledge and understanding so that our heart is right. And then secondly, I think it's a head figure in verse 10, so that you may approve what is excellent. So we have a church that has a heart, love abounding over and over. We can see evidence of it. We have serve days. We have days where we're we're praying for the lost and we're praying for the world and we're praying for each other and our love is just, we can't seal it up because it's the love of Christ that comes out in us. But then we also have our heads and our heads are getting screwed on better. How's that for a non-Pauline metaphor? Um, so that we approve what's excellent. We're not satisfied with just stuff. Or C.S. Lewis says it, we're not eating mud pies. But that, and he uses the metaphor of, of these castles in the seashore that are just a... So, as a matter of fact, Paul fleshes this out. And I don't know who has Philippians 4, but somebody does. Where in Philippians 4, 8, it says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable... If there's any excellence, think on those kind of things. Pray for one another that our heads are right and we're thinking about what we should be thinking about. What's excellent, not what's not excellent. 
man, how many minutes in my day do I think about non-excellent stuff? Or maybe junk is another word. Third thing is this. And, and so I've, tra- I've interpreted the heart, the head, and the hands. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. So I think it's got to be that same day in verse 6. So when Christ comes back, we're not going to stand in our own righteousness. Don't misinterpret the text. But I don't know about you. When the Lord comes back, I want to be one who is striving for his kingdom that recognizes I need to be clothed in his righteousness, but that my striving has resulted in purity and blamelessness. In the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. That's how that fruit comes, but there's fruit there. And we're praying that as a result of Jesus, who begins a good work in us and will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ, that from College Park, that we can look at one another and we can say, look at the fruit of God that comes out as a result of us justified people. Man, it's overwhelming. You know, I see evidences of that, and that's encouraging to me. And I, I, I got to say this. Let's keep doing it. And don't just cheer on the other ones that are doing it. Pray this for yourself. So, so I've thought, all right, so I, I, ought to, I ought to do this prayer. I ought to do this. I ought to do it for my wife. Pray that her love abounds more and more toward me. <laughs> it's a bad interpretation of the text because, as a matter of fact, I think before you pray that for somebody else, why not pray it for yourself? Get on your knees and say this afternoon, Lord, somehow by your grace, may my love abound more and more in knowledge and in all understanding. And then pray and, and that, that I will be able to approve what's excellent. So as I'm walking, going through my week this week and you're confronted with whatever it is you're confronted with, I want, I want to be able to discern and to approve what's excellent. And then I'm going to be like the church is supposed to be, that my life, not perfect, but it's going to be blameless and it's going to be until the day of Jesus Christ. So pray that. And then pray it for your spouse. And I tell you what, I think the attitude of your prayer when you start off praying for yourself is going to be different when you pray for your spouse. And if you're single, pray it for your friends, pray it for your church, pray it for your pastors, pray it for your government leaders, pray it for our missionaries, pray it for... So, so pray for your grandkids, my four-year-old Parker and my three-year-old Johnny and all the rest of them that I love dearly. And I say, I, all right, you may not understand this if I'm going to say it to you, Parker, but I want your love to abound more and more and more and more and more. I want you to grow up and to be able to prove what's excellent. I want the fruits of your hands to be such that, that they indicate the righteousness that Christ is going to give to you. And then I'm praying, and Lord, save those little guys. Bring them into the kingdom. Because that's what the church does. And my prayer for College Park, and I am so excited to go through the book of Philippians. I don't know if you picked that up or not, but I hope you did somewhere. It's because Jesus Christ is the focus. And the church is one. We know who the king is, and we trust the king can do what kings do. And we submit to him as Lord, and we're his servants. And we want to be chained together. Whatever God brings, let's be in this thing together. And then we want to demonstrate the reality of that by praying one for another and do it always in all manner. And look at the end of verse 11. It says, to the glory and praise of God. That's what it's all about. It's for His glory. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. That's what the church does. Let's pray. Father in heaven, 
Ah, my heart is full of this text, and I thank you for College Park. I thank you for the church at Philippi. I thank you for the church that you have redeemed with the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. And we're confident that you began a good work. You're going to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Thank you that you're king. And I also thank you that you allow us to, that we can live in in fellowship, in partnership, in, in community as we anticipate and live for that great day. And Lord, help us to do that tenaciously. And then, Lord, may we be a church of prayer. May we be on our knees. May we pray like Paul encouraged us to pray. And, Lord, I pray for this church, my church, and for myself, that my love would abound, that our love would abound more and more. And that we would approve what's excellent, that we would get away from the petty, puny stuff. And that then we would also be filled with the fruits of righteousness and we would be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Lord, may those marks mark our church and in the end of the day, may it do that for your glory. And I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. There'll be people up here who would love to talk to you about Christ. And let's come back and delight in Jesus through Philippians.